John chapter 8, in the Word of the Lord. John the 8th chapter. We're going to go through verse 12, or up to verse 12 tonight. John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. Now, I will tell you this, and it really makes no difference to me, uh, but I will just give you the information in case you come across it at some point, that these verses are not in the original text. Okay, that doesn't mean they did not happen. Doesn't mean it did not occur. It did did occur and it did happen. It was just not recorded into the original Gospel of John until later in history. So you'll know that. Okay, and I think maybe because it has something to do with the fact that some thought maybe Jesus was looked at in this chapter as being liberal, and they were concerned about that. So. I don't know. There's a lot of different reasons as to why that is the reality. But anyway, we have it in the Gospel of John tonight, and so I trust it's God's will that it is in there. And I know that it actually happened, so we give God the praise. Now, I like to throw you off with things like that. I, I, really, like, I really debate those kinds of issues, but if you ever come across information, then you'll know I addressed it, at least briefly. Okay, John chapter 8. I think I'll go to John 7, 53 first. Because really, John 7, 53 and John 8, verse 1 go together. The setting is the Feast of Tabernacles. John chapter 7 and 8 go together. The timing is the same. It is the Feast of Tabernacles, okay? Verse 53, every man went unto his own house. Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives. And early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him. He sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought into him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses and the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him that they might have to do, accuse him. But Jesus stooped down with his finger and wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said to them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last, Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. And Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman. He said unto her, Woman, where is or where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Let's pray. Father, we come before you tonight and we give you all the glory, honor, and praise. We thank you for what you're going to do in this house, in our hearts, and in our lives. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Let's go to Numbers 5 as you're being seated. Numbers chapter 5. Numbers 5.11. 
And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, If any man's wife go aside and commit a trespass against him, and the man lie with her carnally, and it be hid from the eyes of her husband, and be kept closed, and she be defiled, and there be no witness against her, neither she be taken with the manner, and the spirit of jealousy come upon him, and he be jealous of his wife, and she be defiled, or if the spirit of jealousy come upon him, and he be jealous of his wife, and she be not defiled, then shall the man bring his wife unto the priest, and shall bring her offering for her the tenth part of an ephah of barley meal. He shall pour no oil upon it, nor put frankincense thereon, for it is an offering of jealousy, an offering of memorial, bringing iniquity to remembrance. And the priest shall bring her near and set her before the Lord. And the priest shall take holy water in an earthen vessel and of the dust that is in the floor of the tabernacle. Trying to get your children quiet if you could, please. Okay. The priest shall take holy water in an earthen vessel and of the dust that is in the floor of the tabernacle. Do you see that? The priest shall take and put it in the water. The priest shall set the woman before the Lord and uncover the woman's head and put the offering of a memorial in her hands, which is the jealousy offering. And the priest shall have in his hand the bitter water that causeth the curse. The priest shall charge her by an oath and say unto the woman, If no man hath lain with thee, and if thou hast not gone aside to uncleanness with another instead of thy husband, be thou free from this bitter water that causeth the curse. If thou hast gone aside to another instead of thy husband, and if thou wilt be defiled, and some man hath lain with thee beside thine husband, then the priest shall charge the woman with an oath of cursing. And the priest shall say unto the woman, The Lord make thee a curse and an oath among thy people, when the Lord doth make thy thigh to rot and thy belly to swell. And this water that causeth the curse shall go into thy bowels to make thy belly to swell and thy thigh to rot. And the woman shall say, Amen, Amen. The priest shall write these curses in a book and he shall blot them out with the bitter water. You see that so far? He shall cause the woman to drink the bitter water that causeth the curse, and the water that causeth the curse shall enter into her and become bitter. Then the priest shall take the jealousy offering out of the woman's hand and shall wave the offering before the Lord and offer it upon the altar, and the priest shall take a handful of offering, even the memorial thereof, and burn it upon the altar. And afterwards shall cause the woman to drink the water. When he hath made her to drink the water, then it shall come to pass that if she be defiled and have done trespass against her husband, that the water that causeth the curse shall enter into her and become bitter. Her belly shall swell and her thighs shall rot. The woman shall be a curse among her people. If the woman be not defiled but be clean, then she shall be free and shall conceive seed. This is the law of jealousies. When a wife goeth aside to another instead of her husband and is defiled. Or when the spirit of jealousy cometh upon him, and he be jealous over his wife, and shall set the woman before the Lord, the priest shall execute upon her all this law. Then shall the man be guiltless from iniquity, and this woman shall bear her iniquity. That is the lie detector's test in relationship to an adulterous wife. Okay? We'll get into that in just a minute and explain to you what's going on. I believe that is the background of what is happening in this chapter. Okay, John 7, 53. The Bible says every man went into his own house. I will begin by saying this, that a house is not a home. You can have a house, but not have a home. A home is what's inside of a house. 
There are a lot of people who have houses that they live in, big, beautiful houses they live in, but the houses they live in, there's no home there. Okay? Again, just because you have a physical structure doesn't mean you have a home. You have a house. But what makes your house a home is what is inside of that house. Is there a family there? Is God there? Etc. What is in the house? If God is not invited into your house, then you really don't, you don't have anything more than a house. You understand? So the Bible tells us right here, every man went unto his own house. It doesn't say his own home. Had houses, but he didn't have a home because Jesus Christ was not welcome into his house. Jesus goes out to the Mount of Olives. He spends the night there. The Creator is not welcome among his creation. So he stays all night there under the dew of heaven, laying out probably most likely in an open field somewhere, maybe in a cave. But anyway, in the Mount of Olives, isn't that a sad thing? Verse 2, though early in the morning he gets up from the Mount of Olives, he goes into the temple, and the purpose of going to the temple is that he might teach the people again. So he sits down there in verse 2 to teach them. Where is he located? The Bible tells us that he is in the treasury, verse 20. Okay? So first of all, let's locate him. He's got up early in the morning. That means in the dawn. All right? So if you were going to hear Jesus in that day, in that hour, then you had to be an early riser. Jesus got up very early in the morning. He enters into the temple. The location, verse 20, is in the treasury. The treasury was located in the court of the women. Okay? If I can kind of get your mind here for just a moment, help you understand what is going on. When you approach the temple, that temple sat on about a 34-acre plot of land. It was huge. Okay? 34 acres. You approach the temple, the first court you would come to would be the court of the Gentiles. Okay? Goes all the way around, four-sided. The court of the Gentiles. And then, the sanctuary itself you picture in your mind the court of the Gentiles here, 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 and here. The sanctuary would be like this. The Holy of Holies would be at the top, holy place. And then next to that would be the court of the priest in front of the Holy of Holies. And then you would have the court of Israel. Then you would have the court of the women. And in the court of the women was the treasury. And then outside of the court of the women, then you would have the court of the Gentiles. Okay? So the court of the Gentiles was the furthest area of the court uh, of the temple away from the throne of God. And then next to that is the court of the women. So it's way out there as far as relation uh, to the Holy of Holies. Okay, you with me so far? And so Jesus walked into the court of the women. That's where he is at this time. And there in the court of the women is the treasury. Now, this is interesting because the treasury was an interesting place. Jesus had been there before. The Bible lets us know about a woman who had two mites called the widow's mite. She went and dropped the mite into the treasury there. And the Bible says that Jesus saw those mites of that woman when she dropped it into the treasury. And he said that she gave everything that she had. And that is where she gave that offering was in the court of the women where the treasury was located. In the court of the women and in the treasury where Jesus is sitting right here, there were 13 treasure chests 
that were in the shape of trumpets. So as you walked into the court of the women, what you would do is you would take your offerings to the Lord, the first two chests in the shape of trumpets, and by the way, they were huge chests, huge trumpet-shaped chests, and they went down wide at the top, and they narrowed down like a trumpet, like this, so that if you dropped the money into the chest in the shape of the trumpet, you couldn't reach your hand down into that and pull it out. Okay? So there are 13 of these treasure chests there in the court of the women of the treasury and in the shape of trumpets. The first two, trumpet one and trumpet two, was where you would bring your half shekel. And the half shekel was the temple tax. So the first thing you did when you walked up to the court of the women in that treasury place, you walked up to uh, trumpet one, trumpet two, the treasurer, and you brought your half shekel, you dropped it in, trumpet one or trumpet two. Then trumpet three and four was another chest, treasure chest that was there, and that was known as the pigeon trumpets. Those trumpets, you dropped your offering in to those trumpets if you were buying pigeons in order to redeem your son the 40th day, okay? So you purchase these pigeons and, and you're dedicating your son on the 40th day. So you drop your offering in trumpet three and four, the pigeon trumpets, in order to get the doves to dedicate your children. The fifth trumpet in the treasury there was for wood for the sacrifices. And everybody gave an offering for the wood for the sacrifices. So you would drop over there, go over there to the fifth trumpet, drop your offering in for the wood for the sacrifices. The sixth trumpet was to purchase the incense that was burned. You would drop in your offering in the sixth uh, trumpet, and that would purchase the incense that would be burned. And then there was a seventh treasure chest or a trumpet-like uh, offering chest. That seventh one, you drop money into that in order to upkeep the golden vessels. The eighth trumpet, eighth chest through the thirteenth trumpet or chest was the general offering. So after all of those trumpets, after you paid your temple tax and if you needed pigeons, you were dedicating your children or you, after you paid an offering for the wood, you paid an offering for incense, you paid an offering to upkeep the golden vessels. If you had money left over after that, then you walked over there and you dropped money in eight through thirteen. Okay? And that was known as the general fund. All right, praise the Lord. So this is where Jesus is located, and this is where Jesus saw the, the widow dropping her two mites, not in this story, but in another story, right? Remember? Now what you need to realize is that as they drop their offerings into these trumpet-like treasure chests, there was somebody that would stand over there, and they could tell by the sound of the money that was dropped into that trumpet if it was a lot of money or not. So let's say the Pharisees walked up and they brought a huge amount of money, you know, maybe they, they like to put on a good show, so <clears throat> they walked up, you know, and to the treasure, to the trumpet, and they maybe they're carrying them in bags and dumping that money into the trumpet, you know, the treasury there, the general fund, of course. And um, this guy sent him with the trumpet, he'd see him doing that, and based on how much money you gave, he would sound the trumpet. If you gave a lot, he'd sound it loud and long. If you didn't give much, you sounded it short and not too loud. And they could tell by the, the dropping of the change into the treasurer 
if it was a silver coin, you could tell if it was a silver coin. If it was a gold coin, you could tell if it was a gold coin. And they would sound that trumpet and announce to everybody what you had just given. And when that little widow woman walked up with her two two mites, nobody heard her drop that in but God. God heard her drop that those mites in. And one of those mites went to the priesthood. And that priesthood, if you'll remember, was a corrupt priesthood. But yet whenever she gave, God heard, God knew what she did when nobody else heard and knew what she did, God did. She gave it to God even though it was a corrupt priesthood. You understand that? And that's the way you have to give. You have to give it unto the Lord. And God honored that. Jesus Christ honored her offering even though nobody else heard it but Him. God heard it. And He honored that offering. Praise the Lord. So anyway, this is the setting. We have located Jesus Christ now. He is there in this court of the women where the treasury is located. And the Bible says He's walked there early in the morning. His intention is to teach the people. It is during the Feast of Tabernacles. And he sits down like any teacher would in those days. And he, would, he was preparing to begin to teach the Word of God to them. And all of a sudden, as he's sitting there preparing to teach them in the temple, in the court of the women, the Bible tells us something happens. In verse 3, the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. Say the scribes and the Pharisees. The scribes would have recorded everything. The Pharisees were the ones who interpret things. Amen. Scribes would record. Pharisees are set up to interpret. So anyway, these scribes and these Pharisees, these religious leaders, brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, can you imagine Jesus teaching there in the temple? All of a sudden, there was all kinds of commotion and, and discord and ruckus. And he looks up and all of a sudden, these scribes and these Pharisees have got this woman. And they bring her and they throw her to the ground in front of Jesus, interrupting his teaching. And the Bible tells us that this woman had been taken in adultery, which means they had caught her, and the scripture says it, in the very act of the adultery. I don't know who this woman was. The Bible doesn't tell us who she was. It doesn't tell us if she was a Jew. It doesn't tell us if she was a Roman. It doesn't tell us if she was high class, low class. It doesn't tell us anything. But there is some history that seems to lend itself to the fact that this woman was the daughter of a Roman official. That she was a high ranking woman. I don't know if that's true or not. In the historical writing that I've read, it, they said even her name was Lithia. She was about 20 year, 22 years of age. I don't know if that's true or not. It is also recorded in the writing that I read that this woman, not only was she believed to be a Roman, a high-ranking woman, the daughter of a Roman official, but that this woman also was in adultery with Annas, the former high priest, relative. Whether or not that's true, I don't know. But anyway, so I'm not really sure who she is, but the Bible tells us that she was taken into adultery the very act. I believe that the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, knew about their adultery for a long time. But I believe that the reason why they're doing what they're doing now is not so that they can stone her, but so they can stone him, Jesus. 
I believe they knew this was going on for a long time, but they, they set the trap. They trapped her, basically. The interesting thing is that when they brought the woman, they didn't bring the man. So it's very, very, it's a strong possibility that the man was in cohesion with the religious leaders at that time to set Jesus up. You understand? So they bring this woman and they tell, they tell him, we have caught her in the very act of adultery. What sayest thou? Give us your opinion on what we're to do here. And Jesus knew what was going on in the inside of them. That they were trying to ensnare him. They were trying to trap him. That antichrist spirit was testing the moral character of God Almighty in flesh. They bring her to him. The Bible says, casting her down, set her in the midst there. They say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. But where is the man? The Bible tells you in Deuteronomy 22 that it's not supposed to just be the woman that is to be stoned to death, but it's the man as well. For whatever reason, the man is not in the picture. He's either escaped or he is in cohesion with them to set Jesus up. Paul said in Deuteronomy 22:21 that she was to be stoned as well as the man because of the adultery. You with me so far? That's what the Bible says. She was guilty of adultery. The penalty of adultery was stoning. That's it was one of the gravest sins that you could commit. Murder, okay, adultery, robbery. The gravest sins that a man or a woman could commit were, were those three, and adultery was right up there at the top. In the eyes of God, he said that if this person committed that adultery, they were to be taken out of the camp and stoned. That's what the law said. You with me? Not only that, but it's such a serious offense to God that not only was adultery to be put out of the camp, the person, and stoned to death according to the law of God, but if that person was unrepented, that sin would commit them to hell forever. Okay? That's what the law says. So when they bring her and they cast her down in the midst before Jesus Christ, and they say that Moses' law says that we are to stone her. They were accurate in what they were saying to Jesus. That was correct. God Himself said that she should be stoned to death for that act. Okay? Later on, they sort of lightened that penalty just a little bit. I say they, the Jewish leaders, lightened that penalty down just a little bit to strangulation instead of stoning. But either way you look at it, strangulation or stoning, that's, strangulation is pretty bad. But in the law of Moses, the Bible says she was to be stoned to death. God said that. So they were accurate when they brought this woman to Jesus Christ and said in the law of Moses, it says that we must stone her to death. What sayest thou? 
they have put him on the horns of a dilemma. Now, isn't it just like men to bring the woman but not the man? To condemn the woman for something they were probably guilty of. We'll get to that in just a minute. So praise the Lord. There is, I will say this today, that when they brought this woman before Jesus and they caught her in the very act, and they went to the law of God and said, this is what the law of God requires, they didn't bring the man with them. Say amen. So they let him off the hook and probably he was in cohesion with them. And thirdly, the scripture says in the commandments that no man is to covet another man's wife. That is one of the Ten Commandments. If you even covet another man's wife, you have broken the law of God. Say amen. Now I'm going to say something to you, and I hope it comes across righteously. I really don't care how it comes across to you, but I'm going to say it. But I will say it this way. There is no man alive that's a true man that has never not ever looked, that has not ever looked at another woman that was not his own with a desire possibly to be with her. Did you hear what I said? If you're the kind of man who says, I've never had that thought cross my mind that I would want another woman, you're either a liar or you're not a true man. So when the, oh, hello. Now, I'm just being honest with you. And, and I'm not saying you yield to that. I'm not saying you give yourself to that. You have a responsibility to keep yourself under control, men. But what I'm trying to tell you, that, the, that these men that brought this woman and cast her down to the presence of Jesus Christ were guilty of coveting or wanting to be with her themselves if they had not already. And not only that, if it's not this woman, there are many of them there standing that day in the midst of Jesus that were guilty of things that had not yet been uncovered. And Jesus is going to uncover every one of them. So before this story ends, that all of these men who brought this woman and said, we've caught her in the very act of adultery, by the end of the story, not one of them is going to be left standing. Because the Bible says they're going to be convicted in their own conscience. What are they convicted of? They're convicted of the fact that they have committed either a coveting of another, for another woman, not their own, or they have actually committed the sin themselves. And it is believed that many of, one of these priests in particular committed an adulterous relationship in Rome and his wife didn't know about it. History. Jesus wrote, Maybe what he did down in the sand with that woman of Rome that his wife knew nothing about. And when he saw, oh, Jesus knows that I did that. And he conveniently left. And maybe there was a, another priest that was standing there that day who... Uh, 
had been over to Ephesus and had messed around with somebody over there in Ephesus, another woman over there in Ephesus, and nobody knew about it, did they? But God did. And he wrote down in the sand, possibly, that man's action. He thought he was all covered up. Nobody knew, right? That was God Almighty sitting right there. And so when he wrote down that man, what that man did, the Bible tells us, that man left too. And before Jesus Christ was finished, there was not one man left standing that could stone her to death. Okay, say praise the Lord. Only one there that day could stone that woman to death and his name was Jesus Christ. Every one of these men were guilty but yet pointing the finger at the woman. Every one of these men had an animalist, animalistic spirit. I will tell you this, and you know that. Today there are men who have animalistic spirits. They're just looking for a little girl they can mess up. And when they get through messing her up, they'll go and find another little girl. And they'll mess her up. Because they're animals in their spirits. These men that brought this woman to Jesus Christ were animalistic in their spirit. They had one desire, and that is, number one, to destroy her, but ultimately destroy him. And he knew it. They're going to put him into a dilemma. They're going to try to put Jesus Christ against the law of Moses. What is Jesus going to do? Is he going to uphold the law of Moses, which said stoner and killer for adultery? He claims to be the Savior of the world. The Bible said, we've already seen in John chapter 3, the Bible says he didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So in this passage, he's either going to act as Savior or he's going to act as judge. So there's a dilemma here how he, how he will, will respond to this. If he keeps the law of Moses, he has to say, stone her to death, because the law says it. And he's the one who gave it, by the way. Jesus is the one who gave that law. So either he upholds his own law and says, stone her to death. Well, he will. He'll uphold the law. We'll talk about it in just a minute. Or he's got to find another way Come on, somebody. If he says, loose her and let her go, let her go free, then he breaks the law of God. If he says, stone her to death, he breaks the law of Rome. Because Rome has taken away the Jewish right to capital punishment. So he is in a big dilemma here, all right? Either he's going to be the mediator that saves her, he's going to be the judge that condemns her based on the law of Moses, and if he says stone her, then he's going to go against the law of Rome, and Rome is coming down on his head, and Rome is going to take him instantly and immediately. And there's going to be a huge uprising of the Roman government, and many innocent people are going to die. And these religious leaders were willing to see innocent people die in an uprising like that to trap Jesus Christ. 
You understand what I'm telling you right now? He's in a dilemma. If he says, let her go, he breaks the law of God. If he keeps the law of God, it says stoner, he destroys her, he doesn't save her. He's in a dilemma. If he says stoner, he goes against the Roman law and the Roman government's going to come down on his head. I tell you that only Jesus Christ as God can answer or do what he did that day. Because they, do you see the dilemma here? There is a huge, huge dilemma here. And by the time we get through it, he does not ever condone this woman's sin. And, the, and he doesn't even, he doesn't break the law of Moses. He establishes it. I'm going to show you how he does it. I'm going to show you how he established the law of Moses, how he kept the law of Moses. I'm going to show you how, come on somebody. He established the law without breaking it that day. But yet, this woman's going to go free. How could he do that? Only God could do this. Only God. And he knew, he knew what they were up to. They weren't up, they really weren't coming after to kill him or, or to kill her, but to kill him. They wanted to kill Jesus. As I said, that antichrist spirit that was working in these religious leaders was testing the moral character of God coming flesh. And so the stage is set. They bring this woman, cast her down before him like she's just a piece of bait and a piece of dirt. Okay. We caught her in the very act. Well, why didn't you bring her before? Why didn't you stone her before? They knew about this woman for a long time. They knew about the adultery for a long time. Why bring her now? Because they want to kill Jesus Christ. They want to try to get him to set the law of Moses aside. They want to put him against the law of Moses. He said, oh, you can't be of God. Therefore, we can kill you. That's what they wanted to do. So they bring this woman and they put her in the presence of Jesus Christ in a position of judicial things going on here. The indictment is we've caught her in adultery in the very act that is the indictment. But we want your opinion. Give us your opinion on what to do with this woman. Because now remember the law of Moses said she's supposed to be stoned to death. But what sayest thou? Is he going to let her go free and break the law of Moses? Is he going to condone her sin? How is he going to handle this? Dilemma. So the Bible says in verse 6, this they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. So their whole motivation was not because they were trying to keep the law of Moses and because they were trying to be righteous and holy. Their whole motivation to trap Jesus Christ and put him in, on the horns of a dilemma here. Because he's been talking about how he's the bread of life. He's been telling people, he that drinketh my blood and eats my flesh, you'll get life. You'll have life if you eat my flesh and drink my blood. I didn't come to condemn the world, but to what? To save the world. The world was already condemned. He's already let them know he's the living water. 
That if anybody's thirsty, they can come to Him and be saved. He's been preaching that kind of message of grace and mercy and forgiveness and eternal life that He can provide. But yet now we've got a woman that's in violation of the law of God who deserves to die. How is He going to work on these two things? These, this dilemma here of being the bread of life and and the blood and the flesh that you can eat and have life and the living water and not condemn the world but come to save the world. But yet the law of God which He gave is right there. How is He going to do this? Verse 6, This they said, tempting Him that they might have to accuse Him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So now, we've got the woman here in the court of the women, in the treasury there. We have these animalistic men who are guilty of like sin, who have brought her to Jesus. And they're bringing the indictment and they're bringing the law that says this is the penalty for it. And when she gets there, I guarantee you when she gets there, she's trembling with fear. Because in her mind, even if she's a high-ranking Roman, she knows what the penalty for adultery is in that culture. And that is stoning to death. And so in her mind, she knows or believes that she is that close to death. So she's trembling with fear. And she looks in the face of these religious leaders and when she sees them, all she sees is this beastly look that's on their face. Ravenous animals with the intention to murder Jesus Christ and use her in their scheme and in their plotting. Are y'all here today? And trying to trap her with them. And she looks in their face and she sees all of this in these religious people. And all of a sudden she gets in the presence of Jesus and she sees something different. She looks in the face of Jesus and she sees love. She looks in the face of Jesus and she sees deity. She looks in the face of Jesus and she sees something beautiful. Unlike these religious leaders. And so the Bible says that they bring her and they bring the indictment and they bring the law of God and they say this is what the law of God says must be done to her. The Bible says Jesus acts like he doesn't even hear them. He's already set down there on the ground in the position of the teacher and he begins to, as he ignores them, he begins to write on the sand. We see the first time he writes in the sand. Amen. Now you have to remember the Bible tells us that when God gave the law, he gave the law. He wrote the law with His own finger. But when you go back to the law of God, which they are citing here, you will remember that Israel broke it. There was a huge orgy that was taking place down there. Moses is coming down with, from the mountain with the tables of 
of the law in his hands and they've already broken the law. Moses lifts up that law that they have already broken and he throws them to the ground and he breaks that first set of the law. He has to go back up into the mountain, the mountain of God, and there God gives him a second set. And that second set was taken. Listen to me. After the first set was broken, the second set was taken and it was put in the Ark of the Covenant. And on top of that ark was a mercy seat. A lid. And on that lid, the high priest sprinkled blood on top of that lid to come between the law and the people. And anybody who went to lift up that mercy seat if they were to look into that ark without the mercy seat that was covered by the blood there, as they looked into the ark, they would see that old cold letter of the law. And the Bible says we have one incident where somebody took the lid off and thousands of them died just like that. Because there was, when they looked into that ark, they saw the cold letter of the law, the cold stone of the law that wasn't covered by the mercy seat or by the blood. And so that first set being broken, the second set was taken as the Bible tells us, and it was put in the ark of the covenant and God provided a mercy seat to sit on top of that cold stone law. And that cold stone law, the lid on the top of it had blood so that when you looked at the high priest looked at that lid, he had to look through the blood to see the law. So the people, when they approached the Ark of the Covenant, always looked through the blood in order to see the law. And the blood came between them and the law of God, which condemned them. And without that blood, without that mercy seat covering that second set, anybody that looked in was instantly slain by that law of God. And so we see the first time Jesus begins to write in the sand. Uh, I don't know exactly what he wrote. The Bible doesn't tell me exactly what he wrote. But I do know that there is a connection. Because God wrote the law with his finger. And so I believe that the first time he stooped down and wrote in the sand, he established the law of God. He did not set the law aside. He established it. But then you will see him in this same chapter. He will stoop down again a second time. And he will write on the ground, the dust of the ground, a second time there in that tabernacle. And I believe that's a picture of that second set of the law of God. And that second set was put in the ark and it was covered by a mercy seat that had blood upon it. That blood separated the people from the law. The law that condemned them and judged them. And so I believe when he wrote the second time, that was a picture of the second law that was given, that was covered by the blood so that the people would not be condemned to death. The blood sacrificed, the substitute has already taken place. So there's a lot going on in the passage here. The Bible tells us as he began to write there 
Remember, they've already said in Moses' law, it commands us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? That's right. That cold letter of the law said that. And he is, Jesus is not going to say, we're going to set that aside. We're going to bypass that. He's going to leave the law intact. In fact, he's going to establish the law. Even after this woman goes away forgiven, he will still establish the law to her. I'll prove it to you. He's not going to set it aside. He's not going to remove it. He's not going to replace it. He will establish it. Because he is the one who wrote it on Mount Sinai. The one sitting there that day in that temple is Yahweh. He is the I am that I am that wrote with the finger on Mount Sinai and gave that law at the beginning. So he is not going to say we're replacing it. He's not going to say we're, we're doing away with the moral law of God. He's not going to do that. Because he's a woman. This they said tempting him that they might have accused him. But Jesus stooped down with his finger and wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. See, he knew what they were up to. So he ignores them. I'm trying to tell you is he acts like they're not even there. As far as I can tell, he's not even looking up at him at this point. The fact that he doesn't even look at him, the fact that he ignores him, lets me know he knows what they're about. So he just starts doodling in the ground, mingling the dust. Writing something there. And for her, it's going to be love letters in the sand. The title of the message is not love letters in the sand. No, he's the one who gave the law. He's going to establish that law. But in that law, there was a blood atonement. Hallelujah. Yeah, there was that cold letter of the law that says she deserved to die. But there was also a part of the law that's called blood. Blood atonement. So he acts like he's writing there on the temple floor of that, or the temple precincts there in the court of the women. He acts like that they're not even there and as though he heard them not. And so when they continued to ask him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him... First, cast a stone at her because in Deuteronomy 17, 17 says the person who is the accuser has to be the first one to throw the stone. So you've got these men who have said we've taken her in the very act of adultery and, and they are accusing her. So according to the law of God, the one that accuses her has to be the one that throws the first stone. The accuser does. In case you don't know it, in order for that accuser to throw that stone, they can't be guilty of the same sin. Even the law of Moses. So Jesus says, He that without sin, let him first cast the stone. You're the accuser. You pick it up. You cast the stone at her. Ooh, did you catch that? He doesn't set the law of Moses aside. He doesn't go against the law of God. He says simply this. Okay? And he's not going to condone her. He's not going to accept what she's doing. 
You know, with me so far, only God would have this kind of wisdom. Not accept what she's done. She has sinned against God. She's an adulteress. Not set the law of God aside. If he does that, he's not of God. He does neither. He neither condones her sin, nor does he set the law of God aside. He just simply says, He that without sin let them first cast the stone. You be the first one. Yeah, yeah. So they keep on pressing him. He lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And he again stooped down and wrote on the ground. He writes a second time. Like that second table of stone that was given that was covered by blood. Second time. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it being convicted by their own conscience went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. The oldest one among them, he got out of town faster than the rest of because he had a longer life of sin. And it could be, even though the Bible doesn't tell me what was written here, it could be that what Jesus wrote here in the sand was their sin, and he's uncovering them. Or maybe... Maybe he wrote another part of the law which says you're not supposed to be in cohesion with somebody that's bringing an accusation against the woman. Or maybe he wrote thou shalt not covet another man's wife. Maybe that's what he wrote. Parts of the law there that pointed at them. But one by one as he write, wrote that, those letters in the sand, from the eldest to the youngest, they looked at each other and said, I can't throw the stone because look, I'm guilty. And, and embarrassment. The man pointing the woman at her, walking away embarrassed because of his own guilt. One by one, they left from the eldest to the youngest. Nobody there that day was able to pick up that stone because nobody there that day was without sin. Except Jesus Christ. He was the only one that was without sin. Their conscience is eating them up. Even if he doesn't write anything down, even if he doesn't look, just the fact that he's there is enough to put them under conviction. Convictions all over them. Because as he's writing, I believe the law of God here, they remember where they broke that law, where they broke this one, and where they broke that one. And, and maybe he put their name beside the broken law there and said, Oh, remember, uh, remember that woman over in Rome? Her name was. How did he know that? My wife don't even know about that. Hurry, wind! Hurry, wind! Hurry, wind! Blow, blow, blow!
Or maybe the reason why uh, they knew where she was so readily was maybe they had something going on with her as well. I don't know. Maybe the high priest, the previous high priest, his relative is in relationship with him. Whoa. Anyway, one by one, they got out of town. Their conscience is eating them alive. Oh, hallelujah to the Lamb. They're convicted by their own conscience. Went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone. The woman standing in the midst. Now, she's no longer sitting there. She's standing in the midst. They took her and they threw her on the ground. Accusing her, bringing the indictment of her sin. And yes, she was guilty of that. And she deserved to die by stoning. Yes, she did. But now they've all gone and she's left standing in the midst. Let me tell you something. Whenever she stood up that day, you go back to Eve in the Garden of Eden. It was Eve that took that fruit. And when she took that fruit, she cursed the whole human race in a sense. It was Adam that brought sin to the human race, but it was Eve that took that fruit first. It was the woman that took that fruit first, and it was the woman that ate that fruit first. And so now there's a curse on, on, on women because of what Eve did. And so when this woman stands up there that day, every woman that has ever lived is standing up in her. Your mother stood up when she stood up. Your grandmother stood up when she stood up. Your daughter stood up when she stood up. What is it? The Bible tells us right there. She's standing there and Jesus is there. And he looks at her and he says, When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. Somebody will say, Well, she's going to go away forgiven, having never repented. Really? She calls him Lord. She gets standing right there that day. She gets a revelation that he's my Lord. He's my Savior. He will bring forgiveness to me. When she's standing right there in his presence, I believe she repented of her sin. She called him Lord. Oh, hallelujah. And when she looked at him, she saw love on his face and saw mercy on his face and saw God there in flesh. The one who gave the law that condemned her. 
But the second law was covered by blood. And God said, I'm going to find a way to put the blood between my law and the people. Because without the blood, the law will condemn you. Everybody here today is condemned by the law of God. There's no None righteous, no, not one. Every one of us here today deserves to die and go to hell forever because we've all broken the law. But the law of God was covered by the blood so that the law wouldn't slay us. He found a way. And as she looked in his face standing there that day, she saw in him if you look at Psalm 85 <clears throat> verse 1 Lord, thou hast been favorable unto thy land. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all their sin. Thou hast taken away thy wrath. Thou hast turned thyself from the fiercest of thine anger. How could he do that? By the blood atonement. Atonement means to cover. Turn us, O God, of our salvation. Cause thine anger toward us to cease. Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? Wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee? Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for He will speak peace unto His people and to His saints, but let them not turn again to falling. Surely His salvation is not in them that fear Him that glory may dwell in our land. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. That woman standing there deserved to die by the law of God. She was indicted. She was caught in the act. The law of God says, stone her to death and the man as well. But now we see salvation. We see covering of sin taking place here. How could He do that? By the blood. Because six months to seven months from that day, He will go to the cross and die for that woman's sin. Six to seven months from that day, He will shed His blood on Calvary's tree and put the blood between her and the law that condemned her. Six to seven months. He's looking forward to the cross. And tells her, I, all right, are y'all here with me today? So when she saw him, she saw mercy and truth in him. She saw righteousness and peace kissing together in him. Give God praise in the house. Righteousness and peace in harmony with each other. Justice. Are y'all here today? What do you say? Psalm 85. Look at it. Look at it with him. He's going to harmonize justice. And he's going to harmonize peace in himself. Psalm 85. I'll read it again. Mercy and truth are met together. See, mercy is in harmony with truth. And truth is in harmony with mercy. They're met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Righteousness, yes. Peace, 
kiss. They've all met together truth and mercy and righteousness and peace. They're kissing right there in Him. There's a, a harmonious, a harmony of His law and His mercy together. In Jesus, she saw that harmony in Him. Woman, remember the word woman, Isha, takes you back to Eve. Goes all the way back to that first woman who sinned against God Almighty and deserved to die. But when you stand up, I'm going to make you, I'm going to lift you up, woman. I'm going to put you on equal ground again. Hallelujah, I'm going to save you. I'm going to, come on, I'm going to lift the curse that was upon you, woman. Every woman in this church right now ought to thank God for what God has done for you. For what God has done for you. If you don't live for God for any other reason than just for what God has done for you. How is He going to harmonize? How is He not going to violate the law of God but still show mercy and salvation? Because of His blood. He's already said it. If you drink my blood and eat my flesh, you'll have eternal life. My flesh, God come in human form. My flesh will become the vicarious sacrifice. That means it will become a substitute for you. My blood will be shed for you for the forgiveness of your sin. If you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will have eternal life. I'll put the blood. He, she's going to put his blood between this woman and the law of God that condemns her. He's going to take her place on that cross. Love letters in the sand. Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Watch this. Watch this. Neither do I condemn thee. He's going to release her from the requirements of the law which require her to die but yet not break the law because He's going to be her blood sacrifice. And when she said, Lord, she embraced him. She embraced the God man. She embraced his blood. She embraced his substitutionary work for her. No man, Lord, Jesus said unto him, Neither do I condemn thee. Now he establishes the law, he's already established it. But he further establishes. He said, neither do I condemn thee. Go thou and sin no more. Because if you go and sin again and do the same thing again, then you will set in motion the judgment of the law. Don't think that Jesus is liberal. Don't think that Jesus is condoning this woman's sin. Not one time do I hear him condone her sin. And not one time does he set the law of God aside. He leaves the law of God in place, intact. The law of God accuses. The law of God condemns. The only way he can bring forgiveness for her 
is if she embraces him as Lord and Savior. And by that blood that he will shed, she can go away. But he says, go and sin no more. He told the man with the bed on the Sabbath day that he picked up, he said, go and he said, don't go. He said, go and sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. He said, You've been forgiven of your sin. Take up your bed, you're, you're made whole, you've been forgiven. But don't go back into the sin, because if you go back into the sin, a worse thing than this is coming upon you. You're going to go into an eternal damnation. You're going to go into hell if you return back to your sin. So God is telling her, even though I don't condemn you, don't go back into sin if you do. You will set in motion the judgment of God's law upon you. He's not liberal. It took his blood to save that woman. It took his blood to save you. It took his blood to save me. But he has never set his law aside. He never condones our sin. He can only forgive it because he died and paid the price of the broken law. And once he redeems us by blood, he expects us to walk in a life that doesn't go back into sin. You know why? Because you cannot expect the mercy of God if you don't live the life of God. There's a lot of people that are going to die and go to hell because, oh, the mercy of God and the grace of God. If you don't have the life of God and you don't live the life of God, then you can experience the mercy of God. So you have been forgiven, so don't go back where you came from. He's establishing the law. And He's letting her know that if you go back into sin, it's going to set in motion the judgment the application of God's law and judgment. Give God praise in the house. <clears throat> but that woman that day that was forgiven by Jesus Christ based on what He would do six to seven months from that hour and because she embraced Him as her Lord. What He did that day was not only for her. What He did that day on that cross, He did it for Eve. What He did that day on that cross, He did it, as I said, for every woman in this church. He did it for every mother. He did it for every grandmother. He did it for every daughter. Everybody, When she stood up, they all stood up in her. You stood up in her. But not only women. Because those men that were there that day, standing there, condemned by the same law, they were condemned by the same law. But for them, they went away from Him into eternal damnation. She was saved that day because she decided and chose to follow Jesus. Those men that day should have fallen at the feet of Jesus and said, Lord, forgive me, I've broken the law. Lord, forgive me, I did that and I did this, Lord. I deserve to die as well. They should have fell at the merciful feet of Jesus that day. But they didn't. They walked out in self-righteousness thinking that they were good enough to go to heaven. And every one of them that walked away from Him went to hell that day. 
see the one that was accused and condemned by the law of God was saved that day. And she's standing with the church. She stood there with the church. She stood there with Jesus Christ. And she was saved. And the men went to hell. Give God praise. So this woman here, she doesn't just represent herself. Or she's not just herself. She doesn't just represent Eve and you and all the women who have ever lived. Who will come and stand in the church. But she represented those men that day. She represented Israel that day. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus had already said, this is an evil and adulterous generation. He had already indicted the whole nation as being evil and adulterous generation. When she was standing there that day, that was Israel. An evil and adulterous generation. Evil toward men and adulterous toward God. Old Israel was standing up in her that day. Even the Old Testament lets us know. Ezekiel 16 lets you know that Israel was an adulteress. I wish I had time to preach it. What God did for her, found her when she was in the on the side of the road found her in her blood on the side of the road picked her up washed her off cleansed her wrapped her in swaddling clothes to straighten her up and she began to grow and God put garments on her gave her the tabernacle clothed her in the tabernacle put her in beautiful ornamentation which was symbolic of his salvation made a covenant with her married her at Mount Sinai And what did she do at Ezekiel 16? The Bible said after everything that God had done for her, when she grew up, she grew up and started, she started looking beautiful. She was no longer that baby found on the side of the road that God saved. But He married her at Mount Sinai, gave her the garments of the tabernacle, gave her salvation, ornamentation. But what she did she do? She went away from God, her husband, and she played the harlot. Hosea chapter 2 also gives you a picture of how Israel was a harlot, an adulteress to God Almighty. So when Jesus comes, He says, this is an evil and adulterous generation that's seeking after a sign. So He's already told them the nation is in adultery and adulterous to God and evil to man. They should have fallen at the feet of Jesus just like this adulterous woman and found mercy and grace and let His blood come between them and the law. But they decided to try to be good enough. Oh, hallelujah to the Lamb. But the law condemned every one of you. You need a Savior. You need Jesus. You need the Lord. You need forgiveness. Oh, have come short of the glory of God. Every one of us. We needed the blood to stand between us and the holy righteous law of God. And the, so the peace and the mercy and the righteousness and the truth were in harmony in Jesus Christ. So when she was standing there, she was representing Israel and an evil and adulterous generation, but she also represented you and she represented me. Because when I looked in his face, 
I stood before him guilty. Guilty just like she was Maybe not guilty of the exact same act, but guilty in heart, guilty in mind. An adult. I needed a Savior. I needed a Lord. And so, when you look at the passage, it reminds you of Numbers chapter 5. Ezekiel 16 said Israel's an adulteress. Hosea 2 said Israel's an adulteress. Jesus said Matthew 12, an evil adulterous generation seeking after a sign. He let them know they're an adulterous generation. And if you'll just think back just a little bit, Israel, I was the God that gave you that law. But when I gave you the law, I gave you the blood. To come between you and the law. You're saved by the blood. And you'll think back, Israel, you will remember a story in the Old Testament where a woman was accused of adultery. The husband became jealous of his wife and said, This wife has committed adultery on me having no proof of it at all. And so God said, I'm going to make, I'm going to give you a lie detector's test so that you can determine if your wife has committed adultery against you, husband, or if a spirit of jealousy comes on you and you have no grounds for it, but you're just suspicious of her. God said, I'm going to give you a lie detector's test to find out if she's lying, but also for her protection against your accusation. Because if she's not guilty, we're going to prove that she's not guilty. Jesus. Maybe it's you, man, who's got the problem. And you're accusing her. So God said, I'm going to give you a lie detector's test by way by which we can show if she is guilty or not. Of your accusation. Maybe you're the problem. So the Bible says that this jealous husband. Would bring his wife to the tabernacle. The entrance of the tabernacle. There and he would set her there before the priest. And the priest would go into the dirt. And he would gather dirt, dust off the ground. With his finger. And he would get water. And he would put in this water. Because dust he gathered from the tabernacle floor. Dust that the serpent would crawl on. And eat. It's a picture of the cursed ground. That the serpent would eat. He gathered a little bit of that dust. And he put it in the water. And then he would put, he'd write in the book the oath of cursing. He'd write it all out. And then he'd wash the letters out of the book into the water that had the dirt from the floor that the priest had gathered. And he would give this woman this cup of water that had this bitter taste because of the ground and the letters that had been washed in it. And she would drink this cup of water with the letters in it. 
She sat there. She had sacrifices in her hand. I'm not going to get into that. But she had the sacrifice in her hand. And she sat there. And if she was guilty, all of a sudden, the thigh that she committed the sin with began to rot. And the belly, which be, would be the area of conception, would begin to swell. Because the bitter waters have entered into her and she's cursed with the curse of the law. And she would become sterile. Never able to conceive ever again. If she was guilty. But if in that lie detector's test he takes the dust of the tabernacle floor and puts it in the water and writes that oath of cursing and washes it into the water if she drinks that bitter cup of water and she's not guilty the lie detector's test is going to prove it her belly will not swell and her thigh will not rot and she'll get up and she'll go home with that accusing husband in this case the woman is guilty. Her thigh is in the process of spiritually rotting. Her stomach is in the process of spiritually swelling. She's guilty. She's cursed. Bitterness has entered into her soul. Jesus knows she's guilty. That he says, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. She leaves the temple grounds. And Jesus walks and sits in the chair for her. And takes her place. He went to the cross and took her place. As her husband, he said, I'll die for you. You're guilty, but I'll die for you. I'll take your place. And that's what happened that day. Jesus riding on the ground. That woman there in the temple precincts. And it's the men who accused her. They said, we want to be righteous by the law of God. That walked away with bitterness in their soul. It wasn't just her that got up out of that chair that day. It was Eve. It was Grandma. It was Mother. It was your daughter. It was the whole nation of Israel. If they would receive it, if they would just eat His flesh and drink His blood, they would have eternal life. She represented them. But they said, no. We're going to go away and we're going to rely upon our own good works. Oh, see, your good works won't save you. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. He told Nicodemus, you must be born again of the water and the Spirit. Or you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. It's not how much money you put in the trumpets. It's not how good you live. You must eat His flesh and drink His blood. How did you do that? 
when you were water baptized in Jesus' name and got filled with the Holy Ghost, you received His nature in you. He said, I know I need a Savior. He said, Lord, I'll drink your blood and I'll eat your flesh. I'll embrace the blood that will bring forgiveness for my sin and stand between me and the law. And I will embrace you as my Lord. As God come in the flesh, who will be my substitute. And she got up that day and she walked out. And she walked out forgiven. And Jesus never went against the law of Moses. He never set it aside. He never replaced it. He never has. The moral law of God is still in force today. But he found a way to cover the law and put the blood between you and it so you might experience eternal life. So sad. They walked away bitter and cursed that day. Because they walked away from the only Savior and the blood. For her, it was love letters in the sand. For them, it was the letters of the law that had been washed in the cup that they drank. And they went away, condemned by the law of God eternally to burn. For her, it was love letters in the sand. To them, it was a letter of the law. And today, my friend, if she did what Jesus told her to do, go and sin no more. Don't go back to that lifestyle ever again. If she did that, she's in heaven now. If they did not come to Him for salvation, Every one of those men that were there that day are in the lake of fire in hell right now awaiting the final judgment that will put them in heaven. Pastor, I'm going by my feelings. Pastor, I feel like today I'm saved and I feel like I'm going to heaven. So did they. When they walked away from him that day. They felt like. But you're not saved by your feelings. You're saved by the word of God. That water that the water. That water in that earthen vessel. The picture of Jesus Christ. In that humanity is the living word of God. Standing right. Sitting right there. And she's standing in her midst. The word of God. You're saved by the word of God. The law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ, said the first chapter. So now, he established the law. He didn't break the law, but he found a way. And that way was he would take her place. And she would embrace him and eat his flesh. He's the living water. Jeremiah 
Jeremiah put it this way. Jeremiah, the 17th chapter and verse 12, he said, A glorious high throne from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. O Lord, the hope of Israel. All that forsake thee shall be ashamed, and they that depart from thee shall be written in the earth. Because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters. He had just cried out in the temple. If you believe as the scripture has said, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. This spake here the spirit that they which believe on him should receive. But now we see in the next chapter he's writing in the earth. It was love letters to her. But they are forsaking him, the fountain of living waters. And he says they will be ashamed and their names will be written. Could it be that he wrote Jeremiah 17, 13 in the earth? Put their names beside it because he knew they were forsaking the spirit which is pictured in the living waters. Jeremiah 17, 14, though, love letters. Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. There's a cry out to those who will not forsake the living waters that he declared in John 7. They cry out, heal me, O Lord, and I'll be healed. Somebody shout, heal me, O Lord, and I'll be healed. Save me. Save me. And I shall be saved. For thou art my praise. When that, when that lady reached up and grabbed the hold of the fountain of living waters and called him Lord, let me tell you, she said, heal me and I shall be healed. Save me and I shall be saved. And you will be my praise. I'm going to worship you. For her, what he wrote in the earth was a love letter in the sand. But for them, it was shame and their names were written there in the earth for judgment. I thank God today for the blood of Jesus. I thank God today for Calvary. They're saved by the word of God. But I feel saved. Nobody can tell me I'm not saved. Fine, we're not trying to tell you you're not saved. But you better make sure. Do you have the fountain of living water in you today? Have you cried out, Heal me, O Lord, and I'll be healed. Save me, O Lord, and I'll be saved. You shall be my praise. You know, as I close, I will tell you this. In the last days, there are going to be people who follow in the footsteps of these men. 
Because each one of these men are representation of a corporate body of the end times. If she represents a person standing in the church following Jesus, they represent an apostate antichrist religion. And there'll be a multitude of people that follow in that aspect. You don't believe me? Jesus said it this way. God said in 2 Thessalonians. He said, because you did not receive a love for the truth that you might be saved. God will send you a strong delusion and you will believe the lie and be damned. But somebody said, Pastor, I'm comfortable where I am. That's the problem. Do you understand that if you were deluded and uncomfortable, you would not receive the delusion, would you? Did you hear what I said? You wouldn't receive the delusion if you were uncomfortable. The fact that you're comfortable in your delusion let you know it's a true delusion from God. You think God would send a delusion to those who have not received a love for the truth? See, it's, a, it's one thing to know the truth, but do you love it? I know there's a lot of you out there that know the truth, but do you love the truth? He said, if you don't love the truth, He's going to send a delusion to you. And you will believe the lie and be damned. That means along with the delusion, you're going to get comfortable with your deluded self. God is not going to send an uncomfortable situation to you and a delusion at the same time. So that means in the last days, there's going to be multiple people who are comfortable where they are and have no clue they're delusion. Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. You're not saved by your feelings. You're saved by the word of God. And if you're comfortable today, you better ask God to stir you up. If you're full of self-righteousness today, you better say, Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, O Lord, and I shall be saved. You have to make up your mind. I am not your Savior. But if you walk out on that living water, if you reject His Word, you will die and go to hell. And I'm comfortable, you say. That lets me know you are in a huge pile of manure. Because God does not set aside His holiness or His law for anybody. Go and sin no more. It's the blood. Thank God for the blood. But he established the law when he said, Go and sin no more. He established mercy when he said, Neither do I condemn thee. But he established the law when he said, Go and sin no more. But the Antichrist spirit, those religious leaders, self righteous, walked away and stepped into eternal damnation. Thank God for the blood. But I thank God for His Word. I thank God for the love letters in the sand. 
But I thank God for the, the, the letter of the law because the letter of the law sends me to Jesus. It sends me to my bridegroom. And if I sin against God Almighty, guess what happens? If I sin against God Almighty right now, the law comes and judges me. When you sin, you set the law in motion. When you sin, when you sin, you set judgment in motion. The wrath of God comes upon you. Until you repent of that sin and put it under the blood, you're under the wrath of God Almighty. And you can't wait to get out of this church. You can't wait to leave. Because your life's not right with God. You stand comfortably condemned. Until you say, Jesus, I need that fountain of living water. Heal me and save me. Glory to the Lamb of God. When she stood up that day and said, Lord, something happened inside of her. Repentance got a hold of her. She said, Lord, you're my Savior. You're my God. I embrace your flesh and your blood. The message you've already preached. Embrace it. Thank God. Thank God. Why would I preach to you like this church? Because I love you. I thank God for what God is doing in all of our lives. But you better, we better get a hold of the truth. He did not set the law aside. He did not replace it. He fulfilled the ceremonial, but not the moral law of God is still in place today. And it brings the wrath of God when you sin. Until you put it under the blood. And that day when she stood there and she said, Lord, she got into a place but she no longer felt the wrath of God. Because when the wrath of God came down on her, because she embraced the Lord, it hit the blood, and all she could feel was delivered. Delivered, 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 delivered. Hallelujah, delivered, 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 delivered. Praise God in the highest. I was standing in her that day. You were standing in her that day. You're all guilty. I was guilty. The law condemned every one of us. Until you get in a place where you know that you are comfortably, comfortably headed to hell. Lift your hands and thank God for His love letters in the sand. Oh God, I praise you today. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Jesus. In closing, I'll tell you, I'll tell you this because I feel led of the Lord. Sister Dixon, after, after our, the meeting that we had Saturday, she walked up to me, she handed me those two stones. She talked to the church about. She handed those two stones to me. Early Sunday morning, I got up and I started praying and seeking the Lord because I knew there was going to be a lot of movement of spirits 
in those services. And I asked God, I said, God, I want to be sensitive because I know something's fixing to move in these services. Help me to discern. Help me to know what's going on, Lord, in those services. And now the Lord spoke to me. He said, those two rocks she gave you, those two little rocks that agitate you, the Lord spoke to me and He said, this is my estimation of them. He said, they're like these two little rocks. Those who have risen up against you are like these two little... Listen, He said, they're like these two little pebbles in my estimation. That's what He told me that morning. And before they left, she said, you know those two rocks I gave you? She said, they represent two people in the church that have been have agitated you. I said, God's already told me that. He said, this is the size they are in my estimation. God is true. Let God be true and every man a liar. If you honor God, God will honor you. If you dishonor God, God's going to dishonor you. They tried to trap Jesus Christ that day with an antichrist spirit. Tried to put him on the horns of a dilemma. Not so they could kill her, but so they could kill him. And it was them who walked away with bitterness and shame. Not the woman. And for sure, not Jesus Christ. Give the Lord worship in the house. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Glory, glory, glory. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. God bless your heart. God bless you. God bless your heart. God bless your heart. I love every one of you. I love every one of you.